Hey, what's up, everybody? Oh my goodness, there we go. There's some lights. How we all doing? Welcome. My name is Ryan. This is Coffee House Questions, and here we are for the final live stream discussion podcast, whatever it is that you're watching on of 2019. And uh, I have a few thoughts that I have uh, that I'm going to be discussing based on a, a, the movie that I watch with my family, The Nativity Story. Uh, so I'm going to discuss some of that and kind of work through a little bit of the storyline of Jesus' birth. But mainly, I want to finish off the year doing a Q&A, uh, answering some of the pressing questions and issues that you may have uh, from Instagram or Twitter or from YouTube. Discuss the issues that have been pressing on your mind as we finish off 2019. So, um, man, first of all, I just want to say 2019 has been an awesome, great year. I'm kind of right now going through and, and reflecting on a lot of uh, just things that have taken place. And I have some highlights that I want to share with you guys uh, before I jump in. And again, uh, if you have your questions, if you're watching live, send those in and we'll get to those in a bit. But man, in 2019, I set some goals for 2019 of what I kind of wanted to see happen. Wasn't really super specific, uh, trying to figure out exactly how things are going to work. But kind of going back now and, and totaling everything up and reflecting on what happened, I am blown away. I'm super pumped. I'm excited about kind of what happened, how people were involved, and what God did through that time. So uh, just a quick little recap, and I posted this online as well. Uh, you can see this if you follow on Facebook or Instagram. But uh, 120, this will be 121 YouTube videos in 2019. Oh my goodness. I... This is my first year of YouTube, and so I just started posting and recording. Uh, most of them are short Q&A videos. 74 videos are questions submitted on Instagram, on Twitter, or from my students in my high school classroom answering specific questions that high schoolers have. 74 of those. I wish I could have done more, but really just didn't have the time to do all the editing and recording that is necessary, which kind of on a side note is one reason why, if you go to Facebook, I have an end of the year uh, giving uh, opportunity where I want to, in 2019, be able to produce some more videos. To do that, some software might be helpful to, to be able to produce better videos, but also maybe get someone that can kind of help me out a little bit uh, in doing some of the editing, then that would take a huge burden off of my shoulders uh, trying to edit 120 videos. Um, but I also did seven live streams, interviews, as well as these, trying to interact with you, the listener, as and had over 7,600 views, which most people get way more than that on a single video, and I understand that, but I'm still super pumped in that this is my first year on YouTube. And I'm excited that anyone is watching these videos and that right now four of you are following. So again, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. It really has been a lot of fun learning this new platform. And again, I want to try to figure out some more software and some more things that I can do. So when I do interviews, uh, it, it's not just you staring at me and hearing the other side, but hopefully be able to do some video interviews where you can see both sides. So those are some goals that I have in 2020 when it comes to YouTube. As far as speaking events, um, again, I said I want to do 50 events, but I didn't really know how that tracked out. And I kind of landed, I guess, in the middle where I did 35 different events that were uh, totaled up to be about 51 days where I was at an event in 2019, gave 77,000 lectures to an estimated over 3,000 attendees, mostly students and some adults. So again, super excited about that. And if you want to check out 
or have me at your church camper school, you can go to the link that'll be posted here below when I get this all edited and, uh, or go to the website, coffeehousequestions.com and you can request me in 2020. My my calendar for the summer is filling up. And if you saw the picture on Instagram or YouTube, or I mean, uh, Instagram or Facebook, uh, you saw that July was a packed month. I think I did six events at 27 lectures during the month of July. Uh, other months I'm more free, uh, but I'd love to come out and attend. So that was a fun time this year. As far as the podcast, four 42 different podcasts in at least 50 different countries. That's where my list maxes out at. In past years, it's been over 100 countries. I recorded over 1,200 hours of podcasts and had those downloaded and played over 18,000 times. And then of those 42 podcasts, 15 of them were, or 15 different guests came on the show. Some of them did more than one episode where we reviewed nine different books. And so those are some of the highlights of 2019 that just blew me away. I was super excited about uh, just in really transitioning. I used to write a lot of blogs kind of got away from that, put most of my time towards YouTube videos. And again, I'm just having a lot of fun. So I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. And again, if you're watching live, send in your questions, type those into the live chat, and I'll be sure to address those here in a little bit. Um, some of the you know top videos on YouTube, the, be- the top one was, will suicide send a person to hell? And then actually two Christian views on dinosaurs. And then do we have free will in heaven if we can't sin? Those would be the top three videos on YouTube that the students were asking and really wanted answers too. When it comes to podcasts, the top three, uh, number one was Human Origins and Neanderthals with Dr. Fazal Rana. Number two was using atheist role plays to train students. And then the third one, topping out the top three, was Biochemistry, Evolution, and Evidence for God with Dr. Fazal Rana. Again, so Fuzz Rana had two in the top 10. And he has that new book, Humans 2.0. Great book. We discussed that uh, on here as well. He actually joined me for four shows in 2019. So, all right. I have some quick opening comments and then hopefully getting to the questions that you guys have and that you uh, hopefully are going to be turning in uh, here in the live chat. Again, that's kind of the risk you take, I guess, in, in doing a, a listener Q&A or, or a live Q&A is hopefully people turn in these these questions. But um, so the Christmas day, actually, I had a chance to watch the Nativity Story with my family. And this is actually a recommendation, I believe, by John Piper. Uh, What He said, you know, this is one of the closest kind of biblical accounts of the birth of Jesus that has been produced and made into movie form uh, that's very popular. And he recommended watching it. And so we did. And actually, I was very surprised. I was very happy in how accurate it was. There was a lot of really good stuff, but there are a few things that really, you know, didn't want to match, didn't quite match up. And I find that that's kind of what happens with with a lot of the Christmas stories uh, that we discuss in the Christmas season. And and in years past, I've discussed this before Christmas, but I also don't want to like ruin, you know, your Christmas play at church or or anything that you guys watch. And so sometimes it's good to maybe uh, uh, watch all that kind of stuff first, uh, hear the accounts that people get first, watch the Christmas plays, and then afterwards kind of reflect on, okay, now how does the story actually go? What is the true account? Because you know, when when you're trying to make a movie of something, and, and I think this kind of happens when most people talk about, you know, the book versus the movie, you know, and the movie is not never as good as the book because the book just contains way more information. And when you're trying to fit that much information into a short little plot, 
things kind of get cut or, or done out of order. And that just kind of happens in the making of movies. And so, you know, that's the same that I think happens in a lot of our Christmas plays is you take all of the, um, the, the, the parts of the nativity story of the, the birth of Jesus story, and you combine it into one play, into one movie, and it's hard to kind of tell the difference. And then this leads, if we're not careful, this leads some people on an atheist website that I have seen and read where they say, look, there is a contradiction in the nativity story where they will ask the question, what happened to Jesus after his birth? One gospel says Jesus fled into Egypt. The other gospel says he went into Jerusalem. If you know your geography, Egypt is not in Jerusalem or Jerusalem's not in Egypt. And so they said, look, there here is a contradiction. And so we have to sometimes take a step back and, and, and understand what these accounts are saying and really kind of lay out this story. And I think it's good for kids, for students, for adults into truly understanding kind of what is going on here um, so that we have a correct understanding of what truly happened to Jesus. And so I want to kind of work through a quick little timeline based on Matthew and Luke and uh, understanding or making maybe some corrections in the the Jesus story and that nativity story uh, before getting to your questions. Now, the first one kind of before we even get there is just kind of a side point of where was Jesus born? And, you know, uh, this is, you know, you often see he's born in a stable, he's born in a cave. Um, I don't actually think this is where Jesus was born. And then also in a lot of, uh, you know, plays or whatever, you know, he goes to the innkeeper and he asks the innkeeper, is there any more room in the inn? And there is no more room in the inn. But I think if we take a look at the Greek and we take a step back, uh, I don't think that Jesus actually went to an inn. I don't think uh, that Joseph and Mary went to an inn, and I don't think that's who rejected him. Uh, and, and there is some reason for that. And here I have a little document. Um, but first is that you kind of have this contextual problem with understanding uh, it as being there's no more room in the inn. Uh, there are a few problems with this. The first one is contextual. And the first one comes from Luke 2.6. It says, while they were there, being while they were there in Bethlehem, time came for her to give birth. Now, that's one thing in the nativity story is that while they're walking almost into the city, all of a sudden Mary's like, oh my goodness, the baby's coming. And so Joseph is running into Bethlehem, banging on doors, trying to find somewhere for Mary to give birth because she is ready the moment they get into to Bethlehem, she's ready to give birth to Jesus. But Luke chapter two, verse six says, while they were there, time came for her to give birth. So I don't think that Joseph and Mary are showing up in Bethlehem that there's no room for them in the end, and they're frantically trying to find this room, this place where they can have Jesus, they get stuck in some barn or cave, and then next thing you know, Jesus comes. It's while they were there. And you think about also the cultural aspect of this. Je Joseph is going back to the city of his heritage. This is where his family is from. That's why he's going back there for the census. And so you have a man with his wife, going, uh, pregnant wife, going back to the city where he is from, He's staying there for a while, and while he was there, it's time for her to give birth. What kind of family is not going to let his family members stay with the family, especially how close families were at that time, uh, especially with a pregnant wife being the son of David's family, not going to let him stay with the family when he shows up. And so I, I, I personally think, and this is my view based on a few different things, is that, well, 
actually, let me, before I get to my problem. So I think you have a historical problem, or sorry, you have a cultural problem, the family culture and how Joseph is going to show. You're going to have the contextual problem of while they're there, these things are happening. You also have a linguistical problem. Uh, The verb used that we have translated in, kataluma, can also mean guest room. And we see this used in Luke chapter 22. That's the, and and Mark 14, the, the story of the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. Um, and so it's translated guest room in those verses. Also in Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke actually uses a different word completely to talk about a commercial inn where the Good Samaritan uh, takes the man. And that's a completely different word. And so when you look at, and if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. If you're listening on podcast, you'll have to imagine with me for a second. But here is kind of the layout of... A first century uh, house. And you can Google this and see what first century house is. But what you have is you have an area for the animals to 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 stay inside the house where when it's cold that they can hang out. Next to that, cut out of the ground is going to be where their mangers are or where the, the feeding area is. And then right next to that is going to be the living room where people stay. And if you, again, Google first century, uh, you know, Bethlehem house, you'll, you'll see the same thing. And so uh, what you, you have here is I think happens, and here's where my personal view comes in, based on Kind of the linguistic problem of that word actually means upper room, not necessarily commercial inn. Historical problem, the size of Bethlehem was not big. They're not going to have hotels there. The hotels are going to be in the inns are going to be in bigger cities. Cultural problems and contextual problems. I think what happened is Joseph and Mary, before she's ready to give birth, they show up in Bethlehem. He goes to a family's house and says, hey, can I stay in your guest room? The family says, no, the guest room is full. But hey, your family, here's the living room. Stay in our living room. Stay in the common area, which is actually right next to where the animals are and where the feeding troughs are cut out. And while they were there, it came time for her to give birth. Jesus is born in that family member's house and then also laid in the manger because the animals were right there. So that's kind of my view on that. And now I see uh, at least uh, one question has come in. I'll get to it in just a moment. Let me kind of work through uh, the, the storyline here now really quick. Now, if you start with Luke, now I think the, 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 the movie, the, the nativity story kind of follows the, the context of Matthew. Because in Matthew, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the wise men show up. And then Herod summons the wise men to figure out what is going on. Uh, now in the movie, Herod actually knows about the prophecy and is looking out for Jesus way before the wise men show up, way before Jesus is born. In fact, he even has people on the roadway checking uh, who's traveling to Bethlehem to see if they're anyone of importance. And Joseph and Mary get stopped by the Roman guards. We're going to Bethlehem. They stop him. But... Obviously, they let him go because Joseph was a poor guy, and they thought, oh, he's not going to be the one that's fulfilling this prophecy. So Herod knows way before. But Matthew then follows along and says, then, uh, you know, um, right after Jesus is is born, then they go off into Egypt. And this is how the movie is, is Jesus is born, the wise men are there at the moment of birth. The shepherds are there at the moment of birth. It's all one scene. And then while Joseph, Mary, and Jesus are sleeping in the barn, Uh, the Roman guards show up and they kind of slip out the back and they go off into Egypt as the Roman guards kill the children. Now, if you look at Luke, though, I think Luke kind of stretches out this timeline a little bit. So Luke chapter two, verse eight says when Jesus is born uh, in the same region, there were shepherds in the field watching their flocks. So the shepherds are close by or probably right there. Jesus is born and the shepherds visit Jesus. It then says at the end of eight days. So now eight days have passed between the shepherds and Jesus, I think. Then it was time for him to be circumcised. 
he's given the name Jesus by the angel and then you know before the, the the name the angel gave before he was conceived conceived and then when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses they brought Jesus to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord so what i think is this is all happening before the the wise men visit and so after Jesus performs everything in Jerusalem, right, and the prophecies are spoken over him in Jerusalem, then it says in Luke, um, <coughs> Luke 2, verse 22, uh, sorry, verse 39, and when they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their town of Nazareth. Now, what's interesting, though, is if you go over to Matthew, after they are getting out of Egypt, it says... Uh, then he rose, Joseph, took the child and his mother, went back to the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Now, in Luke, after they finish in Jerusalem, um, they go back to Galilee, to Nazareth. So why is it then that after they're leaving Egypt, which I think happens after, why would they be hitting, heading to the district? Uh, why would they be going back to Israel? or Bethlehem, and then have to instead go back to Galilee. So this is reading into the text, trying to understand the flow of the thought. And I've learned this from other people, so I'm not the only one with this thought. But uh, my view is, is here's what happens, is that they return to Nazareth after the purification uh, in Jerusalem. They actually get their stuff and they move to Bethlehem. And then that is why then, when the wise men show up, Jesus and, and Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem. And when, when Herod wants to have uh, Jesus killed, he says all the boys two years and under. Now, a newborn doesn't look like a two-year-old. You don't have to know kids very well to know that. And so I think that, yeah, Jesus was born. The shepherds visited. Uh, he was circumcised after eight days. The, he then goes to Jerusalem, purifies. They return to their home in Nazareth. They get their stuff. They move to Bethlehem. And at some point in that first two years of Jesus' life, then the wise men show up and visit Jesus. Herod then once Jesus killed and orders that all boys two years younger, two years old or younger are killed. And that is when the angel shows up in a dream to Joseph. He says, go to Egypt. They depart. They go to Egypt. Herod kills all the kids. And then once Herod is dead, then Joseph and Mary and Jesus are traveling back to Bethlehem. But the person reigning over Judea, it was the place of his father. Joseph was afraid to go there. And that's why he withdraws back into Galilee, uh, where Jesus would live in Nazareth. And so that he fulfills the prophecy that he would be called a Nazarene. So, um, I think that when you stretch this story over about two years time, uh, I think it makes a lot more sense uh, how the, the, it lays out. I think if you, if you compare the Luke account to the Matthew account, you kind of piece these things together. Um, they're kind of jumping. Matthew goes birth straight to Egypt, right? Luke is focusing on the purification and going into Jerusalem. It's different aspects of the story that when you actually kind of spread the story out, I think they fit together very well. So, uh, that's kind of my uh, my thoughts on the Jesus story. Uh, again, in the movie, it was kind of funny. After the wise men visit Jesus, um, the question uh, one of the wise men says, "You know, I am very smart, and I'm almost never wrong. I don't think we should go back to Herod. I think we should go home another way." And my wife and I immediately both went, "No, you didn't think that, wise men. It's not because of your wisdom. In fact, actually." 
Scripture tells us that an angel appeared to the wise men, told him not to go back to Herod, told him to take another way, and that's why they did. So uh, anyways, there's kind of my thoughts. I overall, I thought it was a great movie. I think that this is just a great thing, that when you are spending time with family, I think it is a great uh, time. And it actually was a really cool teaching moment with the young nieces and nephews that I have uh, to watch it with them. And we kind of talked it through. Hey, here's why the angel did this. Here's why this is happening. Here's what the prophecy was. And and really trying to, uh, or really having them visualize the story of Jesus' birth. And then afterwards, being able to correct a few things and say, hey, here's what happened. Here's what the story is. And so anyways, uh, that was a lot of fun. And I do suggest it. It might become a yearly tradition in the Polly household. But anyways, um, all right. I said I was going to answer your questions. I have quite a few people that are watching me right now, so I love it. Again, if you have questions, send them in. Um, but we're going to spend the last uh, few minutes here that we have together uh, answering some of the questions. And so, Robert Lewis Matthews, what was the star that the wise men from the East saw? Why were there, they the only ones to see it? Um, now, I, I'm curious, and this is the hard part about taking live questions, is um, what was the star? Some say it was an angel which makes sense if it's moving. Uh, it's probably not a shooting star because those move fast and then go away. Um, I think I, I could go along with that's an angel um, that was the star. Uh, why were they the only ones that saw it? I don't know. And if you have a verse, I'd love to see it. I don't know if they were the only ones who saw it. I, I can't think of a scripture that says they were the only ones, uh, but maybe they were the ones that saw it, recognized the uniqueness of it, and actually decided to follow it because they were studying those things. Um, I'm not quite sure, um, but I'll definitely look into that. And if I find something, I'll definitely post something later. Well, as more questions come in, uh, a few more things kind of on 2019 highlights. If you are watching on YouTube and or listening to podcasts, but you are listening more frequently or more recently, um, I really do appreciate it. And I just want to let you know um, some of the people that have been on the show and are going to be on the show on January 6th is my next live stream. You can see that on the YouTube channel. I believe it's at 2.30 in the afternoon. I have to go back and check that for sure. Um, but I will be interviewing Brett Kunkel. And so uh, actually, February 28 and 29 is going to be the Maven Parent Conference uh, here in California. Uh, the focus is going to be helping us understand and, and work with students when it comes to screens and the problem of screens and technology. And, and if this is something that you've noticed, like me, screens are all over the place. Man, I, you go somewhere and just everyone has their phone out. Everyone is constantly on them. And I fall pray to that as well. And it's just sometimes it's like, put the phone away and just enjoy the moment. And so actually on, on, on the 28th and 29th of February in California, and you can find it at mavenconferences.com is the Maven Parent Conference. It's not something that you uh, want to miss. And so to kind of uh, get some more information about that, as well as discuss the problem of screens, Brett Kunkel, the founder of Maven, is going to be on the show on January 6th at 2.30 p.m. California time. If you have questions or comments on screens and technology, I would just encourage you to send in your questions, uh, your comments to follow or watch that live stream as well. I love, I think uh, the, the amount of people that are watching right now is encouraging to me. Uh, come back on January 6th at 2.30 p.m. for that interview. Other interviews though, here in 2019, my goodness, uh, I interviewed Craig Hazen on his book, Fearless Prayer. J.P. Moreland on his book, Scientism and Secularism, uh, Dr. Fazal Rana on his book, Humans 2.0, as well as a separate conversation on human origins and Neanderthals, John Marriott on his book, A Recipe for Disaster, uh, Sean McDowell and J. Warner Wallace both co-authored the book, So the Next Generation Will Know. 
Ken Samples from Reasons to Believe, uh, join me on his book, Classic Christian Thinkers. Uh, Clay Jones, d- join me to discuss his uh, his kind of expertise on, on genocide and, and judgment in the Old Testament and solving that problem, as well as Tim Stratton came on to talk about Molinism and Calvinism. Justin Brierley, that was a fun interview from the Unbelievable radio show in England, uh, talking about his conference, Unbelievable Live, uh, as well as Frank Turek, his book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, as well as Stealing from God. And then finally, rounding out the year with Dr. Paul Gould on his book, Cultural Apologetics. So those were some really fun interviews. Some of the highlights of those interviews have been made into YouTube videos, as well as um, some of the live streams are up as well. Um, And so that's a lot of fun. And again, I'm planning a bunch of interviews for 2020. You guys, um, hopefully uh, it's something to look forward to. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, just as we wrap up again, just mentioning the kind of the end of the year giving opportunity for coffee house questions. Uh, one thing I want to do is, uh, I, the, the branding, the logos, um, the, the design work for coffee house questions is lacking. I, I mean, a lot of it is stuff that I'm just truly grateful for that people have given to me, uh, because everything I've done in this ministry, all 120 videos, all the podcasts, all the equipment that I bought comes out of my own pocket. And and it's hard to work a full-time job. Plus I umpire baseball, plus try to produce videos and record podcasts and uh, do the work for Maven and everything. And it's a lot of work to do. And and I don't have time for that design work or really the money to do it. And so the main thing I really want to do and why I'm fundraising the money here at the end of the year is to uh, hire someone to design some quality stuff for me, to to get a logo done, to get some intro stuff done, to, to get some promotional materials done and really kind of create a coffeehouse questions brand, so to speak. Other funds uh, really that I'm wanting to get done is to get some software to do better YouTube uh, uh, interview videos, possibly get someone to help me uh, edit some videos. And so we can get that done. And so uh, I can get more videos done and not have to take the time to, to edit them as well. And so really, I would encourage you to check out the link in the description below as I'm about to post it here soon uh, to check out that end of the year giving opportunity uh, before 2019 is up. And so one more question just came in from Marina S. Uh, why does the Bible contain so many literary devices? Why can't it just be straightforward so people avoid misunderstanding the text, which would prevent all the different denominations? It's hard to understand what God wants from us when the text is so open for interpretation? Well, I think this is a great question, and I really do appreciate you sending this in. Um, I mean, the, the Bible contains literary devices because it's a work of literature. And, and so that's kind of how literature is written. Uh, the, the problem is, is that it, it could have been straightforward for the people there, um, but it's, it's, it's also, we're removed by a long time. And so we don't have the historical understandings maybe that the people at that time had uh, to understand these things. Because, I mean, there, there are certain uh, euphemisms, there are certain um, uh, ways that we speak today that I may use a certain term, like it's raining cats and dogs, and you understand that, and it's easy. And you get it um, because the, the Bible is a book that is communicating to that, that people at that time. And so they're going to use the language that they understand at that time. However, someone from a different culture comes in and hears Americans talking. It's going to be a lot difficult, a lot more difficult for them to understand. And so the Bible being a book that is communicating a message that it's communicated in human language at a certain time, culture and context, it's going to have those things. And so it does take the extra work for us to understand the historical context, to understand the literary devices, to understand uh, the, t- the, t- the genre that it is, whether it's poetry or history, to be able to understand it better. Good thing, though, is that the important things 
the death of Jesus on the cross, the existence of God, the fact that Jesus is God, uh, those things are extremely clear, and and those things are are what denominations don't disagree on, right? And so you have the the Christian umbrella uh, that that is here are the core understandings that the Bible is the Word of God, that Jesus is God, the Trinity is true, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are each one God, and these are the things that are extremely clear in the text that are not open for interpretation that all denominations agree on. Then there are the things that are less important. Um, there are the things that are not as clear that do create the different denominations because uh, just our best understanding on trying to understand what God is trying to convey to us. And that's where hopefully as believers, we have some grace with each other. Um, look, I, I know this is, this is a great question and it comes from this place, I think, of, of really wanting to understand um, how God is speaking to us and just just tell it to me clear and so that I can just do it. But I do think that there's also God wanting us to figure him out. And I think, man, even though the relationships I have, my wife, me, my friends, my parents sometimes will say something and, and I misunderstand it. And, and I have to actually go out of my way to say, hold on, what did you mean by that? Let me understand you. And it helps me understand what you're saying better. And I think that that is an act of love. That's, that's part of the relationship that God desires for us to have with him, not just this you know, manual, right? The, the Bible is not just a, 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 a manual of here's what you do. Here's step one, step two, step three. Now you're done. You're good. But it really is more like a relationship and how we communicate in relationships and how we, 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 yeah, just communicate to each other. And so hopefully I think that us needing to go into the text, interpret it, study it, understand it, it is truly showing an act of love to God and showing that we truly want to understand him uh, even when it's difficult. So, uh, Marina asks, thank you so much for that question. I hope that answer helped you. Thank you guys for helping 2019 be so awesome. I really do appreciate it. I'm blown away by just the views, by the support, by by the shares, by everything uh, that you guys have done. And I just love doing it. And this is why I keep doing these things is because I know um, it's fun for me and I know it's a blessing to others. And I truly hope that you have been blessed and encouraged by the work of Coffeehouse Questions and me uh, in 2019. I'm glad that God has called me to do this and given me this opportunity. And I'm going to do it as long as I can. So thank you, guys. I'm going to sign off. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Paul. Happy 2019. Happy New Year. And God bless. I just won't hesitate to follow your love. Guide my way